Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. A few weeks ago, shockwaves hit the Middle East and particularly Israel when word came out of Amman that a planned coup against King Abdullah II was foiled and that the most senior figure in the plot was the king's half-brother, Prince Hamza, who was confined to his residence. But then it turned out that there was less to the story than met the ears and that it was more conversations than conspiracies. The Hashemite regime seems fully in control and the family feud is being mediated by the sibling's uncle. Nevertheless, the episode served to highlight Jordan's unique strategic position in the region and the stakes in its stability. To analyze this topic, we're joined from central Israel by Colonel in Reserve Miri Eisen, who is an Israeli public diplomacy, security and intelligence expert at the International Institute for Counterterrorism in Herzliya. Thank you for joining us. Shalom. Also joining us from northern Israel is Dr. Fadi Ismail, who is also a research fellow at the Institute for Counterterrorism at IDC Herzliya. Thank you for joining us as well. And with us here, in, and indeed, and with us here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader overview. What was the situation in Jordan? Where are we currently? And where do we head from here within today's topic? Well, when you are sitting on the uh, Hashemite throne, um, you can never be too alert. And uh, you should never be uh, complacent, uh, bearing in mind the family history where the current king's great-grandfather was assassinated on Temple Mount, of all uh, places. And uh, his father, King Hussein, uh, had to thwart many uh, coup attempts, assassination attempts, um, and the like. And uh, King Abdullah II uh, obviously does not feel secure enough to let what in other systems of government, uh, perhaps in democracies, would have been considered dissent, um, some uh, talk of um, uh, reforms that the government uh, or the regime should adopt in order to take care of the country's uh, societal and economic uh, problems. Perhaps in order to deter a real coup, it was considered by the king necessary to have uh, this public showdown with his half-brother and um, show whoever um, has um, plotting on his mind that the Muhabarat, the um, Jordanian secret service and the military intelligence uh, service are um, watching even the king's family. Even the royal family is not immune from surveillance and therefore the uh, king would rather err on the side of caution. Perhaps to outsiders uh, it uh, may seem overblown, but uh, for the king's sake, having to juggle the Bedouin tribes and the Palestinians and the um, refugees from Syria and Iraq and uh, ISIS and uh, uh, Al-Qaeda and his relationship with Prime Minister Netanyahu, 
which contrary to uh, the excellent relations between the security and military establishments on both uh, sides of the uh, River Jordan uh, is not so uh, good. So um, because of the problem King Abdullah uh, finds himself in, um, he probably wanted to take this action, even though um, to us uh, it seems as if he overreacted. Colonel Eisen, your take on this? It's interesting, as I was listening to what Amir was just saying and thinking of King Abdallah, because there are three kings in the Middle East um, that are all with very good, what I like to call, lineageship, meaning in the sense of their um, the background that they have, their connection to Muhammad, to the Prophet's family, both King Abdullah II in the Hashemite Kingdom, and then we have the Saudi Kingdom, the Saud family, and King Hassan VI in Morocco, and all of them have a very strong lineage that is a Muslim lineage. But when you talk about Jordan, you're also talking about additional aspects of the society that make it more challenging. The Palestinian aspect, the refugee aspect, but inside Jordan right now, those who oppose the king, or at least are the ones who talk the most against this King Abdullah, are actually of the Bedouin tribes that used to be the backbone of this kingdom. And it definitely has to do with all, from my opinion, with all of the changes that have been happening in the Middle East over the last decade. On the one hand, people are demanding more. I'll remind us all, none of the countries where these demands have come out have now gone into being open, liberal, Western democracies. So you want to give more to the people, but the people are looking at it in a very different way. And Jordan has a real challenge on what is the cohesiveness of what that kingdom is, how they, on the one hand, can rally behind the Hashemite king, who has very good pedigree, whose great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather, the keeper of the holy places, has such important Muslim background. But when it comes down to it, it's about the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan, a modern-day country with refugees, with challenges of the economy, with undefined borders, with Israel, with the Palestinian um, on their on their west, none of these really coalesce. Dr. Ismail, your take on this? Yeah, I think many points were already presented by, by my co-panelists. Look, I think this uh, entire uh, weird episode that took place last week, this um, court, uh, all these court, uh, um, for lack of better words, with the <laughs> Like a Game of Thrones kind of situation, we're not even sure what's, ha what's happened there, all this intrigue. Uh, I think if they have uh, shown something that is really important, that would be way beyond the issue of uh, this prince or, or that prince. I think it reminded all of us, those of us who needed to be reminded, of the importance of this creature that is the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. Um, this country if, is actually way more, has much greater importance than what we tend sometimes to, to give it or to pay attention to. It is, uh, in terms of its, uh, first of all, the physical location, nestled right in the heart of all the troubles of the Middle East, uh, separating the Levant and uh, Mesopotamia from 
the peninsula and the Gulf. Uh, so, uh, and the, because of that, it can be a very advantageous location, but it can also mean uh, that uh, Jordan absorbs uh, many of the shock waves from every direction. And uh, it has been for many, many years now, definitely since uh, uh, the mid-2000s and definitely uh, uh, given the wars in Iraq and the Arab Spring, Jordan has been operating like something of, um, of a balancing force in the heart of probably the most disturbed area in the world. And we don't really see it that way. We don't, we don't really pay attention to it that much. So the minute that the stability of that point or that place uh, begins to shake or seems like, like it begins to shake, and I'm not even sure that there was any real threat at that specific point last week, um, all of a sudden, everybody notices how critical the role of this uh, of this small yet critical kingdom is to the entire region. Even uh, regimes that uh, maybe have uh, long um, feuds with the Hashemites, definitely the Saudis. I'm not sure that even they can um, uh, suffer uh, any destabilization uh, in Jordan. Um, Israel, that had recently a little bit of uh, you know a disagreement between Prime Minister Netanyahu and King Hussein, I think for one second there was a moment of panic. No one wants that regime to be destabilized. And frankly, I think that maybe this is one thing that the entire Middle East can agree upon. Uh, Jordan, as small and as uh, out of a sight, kind of, I mean, it's not a very glamorous country to talk about. It's actually very critical, very, very important. And uh, now we start remembering what could happen if that uh, region that now is the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan, if that falls to pieces. If you start playing those scenarios, uh, it's a disaster. I mean, no one gains from it. Really, no one does in terms of the regimes surrounding Jordan. There will be other parties who will probably gain, but it won't be any of the actual states surrounding the country. And in fact, I can't see any real state that will benefit from it. So um, uh, that was a moment of, of sobriety, a moment of clarity. And I want to say that because in Israeli politics, for the last decade or so, we've heard all kinds of people uh, belittling the role of Jordan and the importance of Jordan, sometimes to the extent, um, I still remember even the, the, the comical episode with the former uh, member of parliament, uh, Owen Hazan, and, and the Jordanian member of parliament, the other one is, may you rest in peace, peace, really. If you remember that story, there was like a general um, uh, discreditation of the role of the Hashemite kingdom. And I think if there is one important lesson for last week is the importance of this dynasty and the role that is playing at this point, at this juncture in the history of the Middle East, it must be stabilized right now. And maybe this is why Prime Minister Netanyahu have just a few hours ago okay. Uh, the water uh, request from Jordan and so on. We need to go back to stabilizing this country and uh, we have enough troubles. We don't need them to fall as well. Mr. Oren, the Kingdom of Jordan, I, I think two points are, are very important to mention. One is what also uh, Colonel Eisen mentioned about the Palestinians versus the Bedouins. Uh, of course, not to forget Black September, uh, during which uh, the father of the current king, King Hussein, uh, battled against the, the various uh, Palestinian militias that were uh, destabilizing his country at the time. 
The current king, however, his wife is Palestinian. Uh, he has uh, stronger relations with the Palestinians. He's seen as a champion for the two-state solution, who even during the, the time of the, Obama, uh, the Trump administration still tried by uh, means of his foreign minister, uh, Ayman Mansour, to uh, move forward, to uh, uh, continue to promote the, the fact that a two-state solution between Israel and the Palestinians needs to uh, emerge. And then, of course, there is a certain feeling among some of the most powerful Bedouin tribes that it comes at the expense of them, even though they're the backbone, as Colonel Miri also mentioned, of the Hashemite family, of this kingdom, of their capacity to withstand uh, domestic interference as well as foreign interference because of the way they're regarded in the Arab world. Uh, now, the second thing is something that my late father always told me regarding the depth of strategic field. One of the key physical pillars of security for the state of Israel is the Kingdom of Jordan because it serves as a strategic uh, depth for the state of Israel because, let's face it, even the Jordan Valley is not enough to withstand a full frontal attack if, uh, for instance, from the Bronze Age we had the Moabites and uh, the, the Adamites uh, there, then we suddenly had the Persian Empire. We don't want to see the Persian Empire in its current constellation emerge on our uh, eastern front. How do you see those two elements? Well, unfortunately, um, sometimes in the Middle East and even in Israel, you have Bronze Age and Stone Age leadership uh, rather than uh, weaponry or pottery. But uh, yes, your point uh, is exactly right. Um, now, King Abdallah II uh, has been leading uh, Jordan for the last 22 years. But uh, he does not have the credentials of his own late father, King Hussein, who uh, ruled Jordan for the better part of five decades and accumulated a lot of experience and knew how to maneuver between the uh, regional uh, giants who uh, had plotted to devour Jordan. And in fact, um, there was another monarchy in Iraq until it was toppled in 1958. And uh, Israel feared uh, throughout uh, the uh, 50s um, until the 90s and actually until Saddam Hussein was toppled by the Americans that Iraq will invade Jordan and um, leap across the Jordan River and be a very short ride uh, from Jerusalem and uh, points west. And um, uh, Miri mentioned that uh, Jordan is one of the custodians of the holy places. Israel has been one of the custodians of the Hashemite kingdom, along with the British and then the Americans, starting in the late uh, 1950s. Every time, not only during Black September, but even in 1957, 58, when there was danger that uh, Hussein uh, might be ousted, Israel uh, at first let uh, some other Western powers uh, use its airspace in order to save him, and then gave him intelligence and other uh, forms of help. And in return, uh, we all remember the meeting between King Hussein and Golda Meir on September the 25th, 1973, in which he virtually warned her that the Syrians 
are about to attack and they would not do it without the Egyptians. And there are many other episodes. So yes, uh, Fadi uh, is exactly right. Many Israelis uh, take Jordan for granted because there has been no incident there or uh, almost no incident uh, for many years now. And uh, the excellent cooperation between military officers and intelligence officials on um, both uh, sides of the river uh, help both countries because, yes, uh, the Kingdom of Jordan is not the Michael Jordan of the League here in the Middle East. Indeed. Nevertheless, when we really look at the situation, we do see, as you also mentioned at the beginning and everybody mentioned correctly, there is quite the, the strong relations on the security level, intelligence sharing, and, and much more than that, of course, uh, which also adds not only to the Jordanian security interests, but also to Israel's security interests. And there is also um, a lot of potential on the transportation side, um, economy, trade, commerce uh, from Israel uh, towards the Persian Gulf or Arabian Gulf via Jordan. Indeed. Colonel uh, Eisen, I'd, I'd like to hear your take on this. To what degree do you see uh, Jordan? And we do need to give credit to the king for being able to withstand the, uh, some call it the Arab Spring, I would call it the Arab Winter, uh, since 2011, really being able to withstand and, and maintain Jordan uh, quite whole, despite the fact that uh, Daesh or the Islamic State uh, was on his eastern border, was on his northern border, and still was able to mobilize his troops with Western support uh, to really uh, thwart them from invading into his country for the most part. Uh, but again, how do you see the, the various developments impacting Jordan, also impacting the entire region as such? King Abdullah II, as I said before, has amazing pedigree. Don't underestimate Muslim pedigree in the Middle East. His being from that Hashemite um, dynasty that goes directly back to the Prophet Muhammad that is very important in modern day Middle East. And in that sense, it does give him a little bit of leeway. It is the investment of this king. It still was also his father, but even more so of him in the security capabilities of the kingdom to stop the different challenges inside the kingdom against not just the kingdom itself, but because half the population in Jordan, like the rest of the Middle East, is under the age of 25, the king needs to give both jobs, as you need to give jobs, also needs to give a future, an idea, an ideal. And in his case also, it's within the Muslim Sunni world. Jordan is overwhelmingly Muslim Sunni in its own way, even more than many other countries of the Middle East. And he needs to give them that future in today's world. And those challenges have not changed in the last decade. He needs more investment in the economy. He needs to withstand the voices that offer a different type of future, a Daesh kind of future, a very harsh kind of future. And to do so, he has to juggle within the world he's in. He has the pedigree. He needs the assistance in his own way. I think that he both wants the quiet front with Israel in actual fact, but he needs a little bit of 
the to show that he's standing up within the Arabic speaking world, both for the Palestinians against the rhetoric of the view of, of the Israeli leadership that is, is right now. It's not an easy combination to live within. Um, to, to, to Fadi's comment before, which as I thought about afterwards, to me the most amazing aspect of the last decade is how the Sauds were the ones who overthrew the Hashemites in the Arabian Peninsula a hundred years ago, how the Saudi dynasty and the Hashemite dynasty right now are actually having, um, I don't know if I'm going to call it a bromance, but those two Sunni dynasties in the Middle East are seeing that together maybe they can face a future um, of giving an economy, of giving a, a challenge, of giving a different future than the Daesh kind of vision. Which is quite interesting. Uh, Dr. Ismail, I'd like to um, follow up on that. Uh, Jordan is also a member of the East uh, Eastern Mediterranean Forum or Pipeline Forum, uh, something that the Palestinians are also a part of. Uh, the Saudis haven't tried to join yet into this forum, but the, uh, the United Arab Emirates and other countries uh, uh, in that area have tried to enter initially as observers and then later as uh, uh, full members. And it seems like the Palestinians, without uh, the backing of the Jordanians, it wouldn't have happened, but uh, the Palestinians have rejected the Emiratis from joining, uh, which thwarted that effort. Uh, do you see... Uh, the the Saudi and Jordanian Hashemite uh, bromance, as uh, uh, Colonel Eisen uh, called it, evolve into something that would actually bolster uh, the relations between the Arab world, which, uh, quite frankly, has been torn apart in the last decade in, in a manner that doesn't really seem repairable at this stage. Look, uh, the most powerful force in international relations is, is common interests. There is no love lost between uh, the, 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 the Saud family and the Hashemites. There are so many points in history where they were at odds with each other, but they're also dependent on each other in many ways. So, and in the end, in international relations, interests win, always. Uh, emotions mean nothing. Why am I saying this? Because the things that you have just mentioned are part, are part of uh, a vision for a connection between or connecting the Gulf with the Mediterranean, bypassing the Red Sea and the Suez Canal in a variety of, of, uh, of projects. Uh, Amir has mentioned the um, transportation, energy, and other things. Um, so that is a shared interest. In the end, it will, it will have to, um, if you work rationally, in, 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 it will have to connect these kingdoms together. Uh, regardless of the distaste that they feel for each other. Um, after all, the Saudis feel that the Hashemites uh, ha to this moment have not uh, completely accepted the fact that they're no longer the emirs of the Hijaz. I think to this moment, they still, I mean, the first moment when King Hussein thought he, he could come back in the beginning of uh, uh, Saddam Hussein's invasion to Kuwait, he started calling himself again the Sharif Hussein, uh, referring to the ancient title of his own uh, grand ancestors. So the tension is there, but they still need each other, no matter how much they feel that they threaten each other. In modern ter terms, even if the Hijaz is very far outside the, out the, the reach of the Hashemites, there's the issue, issue of Jerusalem. 
uh, the Jordanians feel that they control Jerusalem, they should continue to be the guardians of the holy sites in Jerusalem. The Saudis, with a very unwise, very unwise uh, uh, encouragement by the Israeli government, are trying to maybe find a role for themselves there. I mean, these are unnecessary, in my opinion, these are unnecessary uh, adventures that will only destabilize the entire region for no reason whatsoever. There's nothing to gain by it. I think that the, 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 the whole effort should be uh, to stabilize uh, this buffer zone that we name today, we name it the kingdom, the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan. Uh, we need to, st to stabilize it. Uh, and that means stepping back from the policies that we have seen until a few months back. Uh, this is one of the areas where I disagreed with the Trump administration. I think that they did not pay enough attention to this kingdom. There are so many issues there that can explode uh, in our faces. Remember, we still have millions of refugees there from Syria and Iraq, millions of children who are now young men with no future. Just think about what it means for somebody who can tap into that energy. I don't see anybody talking about this. And I do screen United Nations reports and so on. These people are there. They're still without any, any hope. And this is an enormous, call it what you want, uh, an army, a mob, whatever, that can be, I mean, thinking in biblical terms, and you brought up the biblical uh, uh, perspective, that can go to very, very bad uh, places very fast. And we have to pay attention. The only way to, we need Jordan uh, as a strong regime for now. We'll talk about democracy, let's say, 50 or 60 years now, from now. But now let's, everybody calm down, stop working against the Hashemites now. Um, let's find ways to take care of everybody's interests. And for that, uh, it has to be an axiom in Israeli foreign policy that the kingdom of Jordan right now needs to remain stable. Let's not forget, it is the oldest, it is the oldest uh, ally and the most stable ally for the West among the regimes today in the Middle East. If you think about it, we go throughout the entire, all countries of the Middle East, Arab and non-Arab, Jordan is actually the, the, the oldest ally uh, when you speak about the same regime, yes? And uh, so that has to count for something. In other words, it has provided a lot of, uh, of quiet, a lot of stability that, as Owen says, uh, Amir, uh, Amir says, um, is uh, we took for granted. We have to be careful. Um, it's easy to break things that are simply impossible to fix afterwards. And um, Jordan is, is not, I just want to say another thing about, the, uh, there was a mention of Daesh. I'm not really sure how the war against Daesh would have looked without the very active participation and uh, the sacrifices of the Jordanian armed forces. And mm -hmm. I can attest to that in a variety of ways including the Jordanian Air Force. Uh, we don't think about it, but it did play a major role there, including special forces. We have to remember that King Abdullah was commanding officer of the special forces. I mean, a very real one. I mean, he was actually Indeed. in combat many times. Uh, this country has done a lot. This is unfortunately all the time that we have for today. So I'd like to thank Dr. Ismail, uh, Colonel Eisen, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem TV7 Jerusalem Studio. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media. Please consider supporting TV7 Israel.